0: All right, go ahead and uh, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, and we'll get started. Genesis chapter 4, and we'll open up in prayer. Father God, again, what a privilege we have. Just as we come into your presence and we open your word, Lord, the Bible of your declaration of love for us, your plan to redeem us, and Lord, not only that, but a a revelation of our future in heaven with you, Lord. God, we love you so much. We we give you this time, and we pray that, Lord, you would um, speak to our hearts, Lord. You would speak ever so loud and clear to our hearts, Lord. You would challenge us, Lord. You would, um, God, just conform us. Use your word now to conform us into your image, to to come into that that obedient relationship with you that you desire us to walk in, Lord. So, Lord, we give you this time. Our hearts are open. Our ears are open to hear and to receive all that you'd speak to us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So we read here that Adam knew his wife um, and she conceived. And we're not told how much time has passed since Genesis chapter three. We're not told how much time it's been since they've been removed from the garden. In fact, we're not even told if they had other kids before Cain or if Cain was the first child they had. It would seem like Cain uh, is their first child. But we just don't know for sure. The biblical record is what God wants us to know. Okay? The Bible reveals to us God's heart for mankind in his plan for redemption through the line of Abraham, uh, Adam, Abraham, David, and then ultimately uh, pointing and leading our way to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And it gives us the information. We need to know to live a godly life and live in fellowship with the Lord. But it says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. Now, I imagine that they were like over the top with excitement. They're going to have a little baby. It says in Psalm 127, verse 3, the kids are a gift, right? It says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now, Tina and I, we have three kids. We have Ashley, Brian, and Austin, and I can't, I can't tell you how proud we are of our kids. Our kids are genuinely great people, and we're so excited for you to get to know them. They're a constant source of joy. They're a constant source of laughter in our house. I mean, they just bring life to our family like uh, never before. Now, Ashley, she's married. They live up near Seattle and we have a grandson Noah and we also have a grandson on the way can't wait he's going to be here in November and uh, we just couldn't be more excited and so I imagine that this kind of excitement is is what uh, Adam and Eve is feeling right now now well what they felt (laughs) such a knucklehead anyway I imagine that's how Adam and Eve felt they were just so excited You know, they're going to have a baby. It's great, right? Uh, They probably didn't have a gender reveal. You know, I think those gender reveals are kind of silly anyway, (laughs) you know? Uh, Anyway, before I just start rambling, uh, you know, as parents, though, we have clear instruction on how we're to raise our children, right? We're to raise them and train them in the admonition of the Lord. One of my favorite verses, you know this verse, Deuteronomy chapter six verses one through seven. I'll give you a time to turn there. Deuteronomy chapter six uh, one through seven, right? It says, "Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to pass, possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, uh, as the Lord your God, uh, as the Lord... God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. And now uh, this next verse is what's called the Shema. Shema is is Hebrew for uh, hear. And that's the way this verse starts out. It's a famous verse, you know it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And here's the point, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you raise up. So we're told that we're to teach our children to be lovers of God. We're to teach them to be obedient followers of God. And as parents, we're to be careful to diligently be teaching our kids about the Lord. Well, how are we to do that? Well, it tells us in the verse there, when we're talking to them, we're to share Bible stories with them. When we're walking with them, we're just to talk about the Lord and His goodness. When we're sitting around the house, just engage them in conversation about the Lord. When they go to bed, talk to them about the Lord. When they rise up, you know, just just praise the Lord with them and just pray and ask God to bless the day. We're to be constantly be sharing with our children just the goodness and the grace of the Lord. And the thing is, is after we pour into our kids and they've grown up and they have kids of their own, man, as grandparents, our job's not over. We get a second chance to pour into our our grandkids. Grandkids are a blessing from the Lord. And we get to pour into them. We get to guide them in the ways of the Lord. We get to share Bible studies with them, helping them to understand how great our God is. Proverbs 22, verse six says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is a general rule. This isn't a a hard and fast promise. This is a general rule. Kids have their own will. And they're going to make decisions in life that they're going to either suffer the consequences or enjoy the rewards of their choices. You know, they're going to have to account for the choices that they make in life. But the reality is this, if as parents and as grandparents, we pour into our kids and we live our life as an example for our kids, the overwhelming majority of those children that have that type of input later in life, they'll be walking with the Lord. And that's our goal is to, to help them transition under the umbrella of our faith as they grow unto the, into their own faith where they can just grow with the Lord and be prosperous and get to know him and walk with him. We're told that Eve gave birth to Cain and said, "I have acquired a man from the Lord." The name Cain, it actually means acquired, okay? Eve thought that Cain would be a fulfillment of the promise that was given to her in Genesis 3:15. That God would bring a redeemer through the seed of a woman. So, In naming the child Cain, what she's saying is, I've got him. She's saying, here he is. Or it could actually be translated um, when she says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. It could be translated, I have the man from the Lord. Verse 2. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So she bore again, she has another child, this child she names Abel. Apparently what happened, maybe after seeing the sin nature that comes with children, right? I mean, you don't have to teach kids to say no. You don't have to teach them to lie. I mean, kids just have a sin nature. And maybe seeing Cain as he grew, she realized that, boy, you know, he's not the promise that she thought he was gonna be. She realized that maybe he's not gonna be the promised redeemer. And so what she does is she names her next son, Abel. Abel means vanity or vapor. And so it gives us an idea that maybe she was a little bit um, disappointed. One thing that strikes me as interesting, okay? So uh, may not be interesting to you, but I'm teaching the Bible study, so you gotta hear what's interesting to me. (laughs) But the thing that strikes me as interesting, and I don't wanna get off the topic, but you know that godless theory of evolution Every step of the way, there's a contradiction to what the Bible has to say, right? The biblical account of creation tells us that, hey, you know, early man, he wasn't a cave dweller. He wasn't a knuckle dragger. He wasn't, you know, a hunter-gatherer. In fact, we're told here that from the beginning, Cain and Abel, they were shepherds and farmers. You know, they didn't develop this skill over thousands of years. That's the way it was from the beginning. I just, think, I just think it's so interesting how, man, every step of the way, somebody, something, it's the devil. is trying to knock the word of God and, and put doubt in our minds. So verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell so you ask yourself how was it made known to these guys you know that god accepted abel's offering and rejected cain's offering and you know again we we just really don't know we're not told but i think that the bible gives us some clues on this topic uh, things that it talks about that maybe is, is a insight into what we're reading. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, we read how fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. You'll remember uh, Leviticus chapter nine, uh, verses 23, 24, uh, Moses and Aaron, they come out of the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord appeared to the people and fire came down from heaven and just consumed the burnt offering and the fat that was on the altar. And then you might remember Elijah, 1 Kings verse uh, chapter 18. This is a great story, right? When he's facing off against the 450 prophets of Baal. Um, Elijah, he, he calls all the people to uh, Mount Carmel. And he tells them, he says, hey, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? I mean, if the Lord's God serve him, if Baal's God serve him, follow him. And nobody answered to him. Uh, nobody answered. they were all quiet. So he proposes, he says, okay, let's face off. Let's just see which God is truly God. And Elijah said, you know, what you guys do is you guys get your offer. You call in the name of your God and I'll call in the name of the Lord. And whoever answers by fire, that's God, all right? So um, the people, the prophets of Baal, they take their bull, they, they put it on the uh, altar, they position it just right. And then they begin to call on the name of Baal. It says from morning to noon. And then after nothing happens, you know, I mean, I got you got to like Elijah. He starts mocking them. Hey, guys, maybe you just need to cry out a little louder, right? Maybe, you know what? He's uh, sleeping. He's got a do not disturb sign on his door. Maybe he's indisposed. Uh, literally what it says is maybe he's using the facilities, right? So... Uh, Yeah, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's sleeping. Cry out. So they start crying out louder and louder. They start whipping themselves. They start bleeding all over the place. And you know what happened? Nothing. Crickets. Right? So Elijah, he takes his bull. He portions it out. He puts it on the altar. And then he tells him, hey, pour some water on the the, uh, altar. Right. He dug a, a trench around the altar, it says pour some water on it, pour some more water on it. Three times they pour water on to the, to the uh, sacrifice. And you know what Elijah does? Just a simple prayer. Lord, just from his heart, Lord, would you just reveal yourself? And then fire came down from heaven and consumed up, uh, not only the sacrifice, but the rock and the dust and, and all the water just it was gone. He, God answered by fire, consuming that sacrifice. And this is something that we, we see repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, how God consumes the fire or the sacrifice from fire from heaven. So maybe that's how God made it known to Cain and Abel whose sacrifice was actually accepted and uh, which one was rejected. So then we ask the question, Why was Cain's offering rejected? And why was Abel's offering accepted? And I believe that God instructed Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, how he was to be approached. I believe from the very beginning, he instructed them how he was to be approached, how he was to be worshipped. And so let's look at it a little bit more in depth. Verse 3, it says, in the process of time, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So the phrase in the process of time, it can also be translated um, at the end of days. And I think what this is referring to, is very possibly that it's referring to the Sabbath. At the end of days or, or the Sabbath, whatever it means, it shows us that God most likely instructed them when they were to approach God. And it also says in verse 3, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And again, it would appear that they were instructed not only when they were to bring that offering, but where they were to bring it. Many scholars believe that they were to approach God. They, were, they came to with that offering to approach God on the east side of Eden right? Where the, the way to the tree of life was, right? And you remember that the cherubim were there. And that's another thing that we see throughout the scriptures, where the cherubim, we always see them in the presence of God. So Ezekiel, Isaiah, Revelation, we see cherubim around the throne of God, and it says in Revelations 4, 8, And they do not rest night or day, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Again, I think what's really interesting is the entrance was on the east side of the garden. Maybe it's even a foreshadowing of how the altar of sacrifice was on the east side of the temple. Again, On the east side is where the sacrifice was to be offered during the time of the tabernacle and of the temple. That's where the altar uh, was placed. So it would seem that Cain and Abel, they received instructions on how and when they were to approach the God, uh, when they uh, were to approach God, as well as where they were to bring their sacrifice. Now, this is something that we talked about last week, too. Remember how the fig leaves that they sewed together, it was the attempt of Adam and Eve to cover their sin. And it was not acceptable uh, in the sight of God. And we read how the Lord made tunics of skin to cover them. Now, this is from the very get-go, from the very beginning, instruction, right, that they received that, the innocent had to die for the guilty from the very beginning that they were told that it was God who provided the acceptable sacrifice, the acceptable covering for sin. And there's also another hint of just strong instruction of the Lord. Look at verse four. It says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, right? Man, I think that this is just screams instruction. This is such a very strong indication of instruction here. How did they know? How did Abel know that he was to bring one the firstborn of the flock? And two, he was to bring it with the fat? All through the Old Testament, <coughs> excuse me, all through the Old Testament, we read how the fat belongs to the Lord. So it would appear that he brings the firstborn uh, of his flock, portioned it, and laid it on the altar. And again, if, if there was an altar there, it would be an amazing foreshadow of the worshiper bringing a sacrifice and burning it at the altar just outside the temple, you know, right outside the presence of God and on the east side of that, that temple, that tabernacle. So it seems to me, it's very likely that these guys were instructed when they were to approach God, probably on the Sabbath, where they were to approach God, there on the east side of the garden, a foreshadowing of bringing that that sacrifice to the temple and the altar, and how they were to approach God with the sacrifice of an innocent lamb with the fat. It also says... And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. So why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's not? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So we turn to <coughs> excuse me, Hebrews 11:4 and it says, "By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain." Abel's offering was brought by faith. Abel is instructed when to go, where to go, and how to approach God. He knew that he had to uh, shed blood of an innocent for the guilty, that God required a sacrifice for sinful man. He was aware of that. So he brought a lamb in accordance with instruction he received. And doing as he was instructed, Walking in obedience to God's instruction was an evidence of his faith. We don't want to miss that. Doing what we're told and walking in obedience is evidence of our faith. What God is looking for in us and in Abel, of course, is faith and obedience. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 1 Samuel 15, says that obedience is better than sacrifice. Abel here is a tremendous example to us um, as believers, how he sought to please God, to exercise his faith through obedience. It's a tremendous example. But it goes on and it says that God did not respect Cain and his offering. Why not? Well, you know, we have to understand... That Abel is not better than Cain. They have the same parents. They have the same, you know, influences in life. It's not like Abel went to Christian school and Cain went to, uh, you know, public school. You know, it's not like that's the the difference between them. That's why Cain turned out the way he turned out. And it's not that Cain was an atheist. Cain wanted to worship God. He's bringing an offering to God, right? I mean. When Cain brought his offering to God, he's probably thinking, well, come on. I mean, who doesn't like fruit? I mean, fresh vegetables. I mean, have you ever had a tomato right off the vine? I mean, the smell, the taste, little salt, it's amazing. Come on. And I'm sure Cain's offering was really nice. I'm sure it was probably the best of his crop. It was probably beautiful. It was arranged just right, prepared just perfectly. But the problem is they both received instructions when, how, and where to approach God. But Cain, he chose to disregard God's prescribed ways of approaching him. And he sought to do it, you know, in his, on his own terms. It was through his own efforts. Cain brought an offering that was bloodless. The offering he brought represented his labors. It represented his works. And in fact, you know, it was an offering that came from the ground which God had previously cursed. And when we read he did not respect Cain and his offering, I mean, it's like what God is saying is that the works of man, the works that man has to offer, his toil, his sweat, his labors, they're not the basis on which we approach a holy God. We cannot approach God based on what we've done, our abilities, you know, the good things that I've done, my talents. You know, it's unacceptable. Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. And you know, This, I think, is a verse that's commonly misquoted. I misquote it all the time. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. But that's not what it says. It says all of our righteousnesses. It's plural. It's like every good thing that I've ever done in 60 years of life, I I heap it up, I mound it up, and it's like a filthy, disgusting, blood-soaked, you know, old bandage used to dress a wound. It's just terrible. Have you ever have you ever changed the uh dressing on a wound that wouldn't heal? Maybe on a, a surgical incision? You know, it's just, there's all this pus, blood, it's just nasty. And that's what our righteousnesses are to God. It's just disgusting. It's a it's such a powerful word picture. How many people today try to approach God on their own terms? You know? God should accept me. You know what? I'm a good person. I try to live by the Ten Commandments. I try to live by the uh, Sermon on the Mount. You know what? I uh, give to charities. I serve, you know, in community events. Uh, I'm a good person. You know, of course God is going to accept me. But God's making it very clear here in these first few chapters of the Bible. The only way to approach God is through the sacrifice Of the innocent in place of the guilty. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the Bible tells us. The only way to come to God is through the Lamb of God, through the shed blood of Jesus. And because Cain refuses to yield to God's instructions on how he's to approach, he remains guilty We see here from the very beginning this beautiful, this is the start of this beautiful scarlet thread of redemption. It starts out here when the sacrifice of a lamb is for a single person. And then it moves on to Exodus chapter 12 and chapter 14 where a lamb is sacrificed for a family. And then on into Leviticus 23, a lamb is offered for the nation. And that scarlet thread of redemption just continues until it culminates in Jesus Christ, where John the Baptist says, John 1 behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, Jesus is the substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice. He shed his blood that we might be forgiven. He is the fulfillment of the innocent dying for the guilty. Remember Jesus said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then one of my favorite verses for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And oh, again, I said it a few weeks ago, it's a him for me trade. He took my sin. He gave me his righteousness. And boy, if that's not something to rejoice over, you know what? I I question if you're alive, if you don't rejoice over that. That's such a beautiful truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Verse six, so the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? When Cain's offering was not accepted by God, we get the glimpse of Cain's heart. We see the condition of Cain's heart. He's angry at God. You know, why shouldn't my offering be accepted? It's good fruit. And as I said, no doubt it was beautiful. It was tasty. It was wonderful. But again, we see this same kind of thing today all around us. People attempting to worship God in their own way. And a lot of people today are angry when we share with them that there's only one way to the Father. A lot of people today reject that they need to confess their sins and place their faith in Jesus as uh, the substitutionary atonement that he provi- is, has, been, has provided for us. They don't want to hear about it. It makes them angry when we, when we tell them that they're not good enough, that their sin separates them from a holy God. There are a lot of people who are angry with the message we preach. And there are a lot of people, sadly enough, they don't want to have anything to do with the gospel because it requires them to admit that they've sinned before a holy God. It requires them to humble themselves and confess that, you know what, they've fallen short, that they're not good enough to approach him on their own merit. A lot of people are angry at the message that there's only one way, and if they reject it, they'll be lost. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to come to God, you know, the way God's prescribed. They want to come to God on their own terms. But the message of Cain and Abel to us is that, it is not possible to come to God on my own terms. It's only by the Lamb of God, the shed blood of Jesus, the innocent dying for the guilty, that sinful man can approach a holy God. We also read here um, God said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? And what we see here is God's wonderful grace. Cain is angry. Because God didn't accept accept his uh, acts of righteousness. But still, God's reaching out to him, right? Why are you angry? Why are you depressed? God's heart was for both Cain and Abel to come into his presence and worship him. And as you get to know God, you see that his heart is breaking over Cain. The father's heart breaks uh, when his children are suffering when they're sad, when they're out of fellowship with God, his heart breaks. And he says, why are you angry, Cain? And why why is your countenance fallen? Verse seven, he says, if you do well, will uh, will you not be accepted? He says, don't you know, if you'll just humble yourself and come to me the way I've told you how to come to me, then you'll be accepted. If you'll just humble yourself and come to God the way he's prescribed through Jesus Christ, then you'll be accepted. If you'll just yield, he's telling Cain, if you just yield, if you would just surrender, he's telling us. If you would just not insist on your own ways, but just come the way it's been laid out to you through God's word, then you'll be embraced by God. You too will enjoy his approval. Someone once said that the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. And that's what we see here uh, with Cain. Cain saw Abel's sacrifice was accepted, but his wasn't. He knew what he had to do to gain God's acceptance, but he just didn't want to do it. He just wouldn't do it. It reminds me of you know, if you have kids, right? Uh, you've experienced this. You know what I'm talking about. You know, they do something wrong and you try to reason with them, but you just can't reason with them, you know? So you try to bribe them with a, a goodie, a, some kind of treat. But, you know, they just don't want to have anything to do with it. So at times, you know, you, you put them in timeout and you warn them, man, if you don't straighten up, you're going to be there for a long time. But they're not listening, right? So what do you do is you get them and you make them sit down but you know in their heart they're standing up. I mean, that's, that's what's going on with Cain. Don't you know? That's just the way people are that just refuse to bow their knee. You can't reason with them. They just, they don't want to be confused with the facts. They just, this is the way it is and that's the way it is. They just don't want to surrender. No matter how good, The promise is that's given to them of the future, of forgiveness, of heaven. And you know, it just breaks God's heart when we let our stubborn hearts keep us from entering into a right relationship with Him. It breaks His heart when we let our, our stubbornness keep us from entering into His presence. And God is pleading here with Cain. God is saying, come to me, Cain just come to me. Don't let your heart be angry. Just give in and let me love you. Verse 7 continues and says, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Other translations translate this portion this way. Sin is crouching at the door. And it's a picture of this ferocious, ravenous lion that's just waiting. He's crouching at the door, just waiting to pounce on Cain and destroy him, rip him to shreds and just devour him. And you know what? It's a choice that Cain has to make. And it's a choice that each one of us need to make. Are we going to yield to God and do things his way? Or are we going to just resist him God is saying, Cain, if you refuse to let your anger go and surrender to me, then sin is crouching at the door and it's going to destroy you. If you'll allow your anger to continue, if you give place to sin, it's most certainly going to destroy you. And this is a serious warning to all of us, right? Too many people, believers included, think they can dabble with sin. I mean, I see people all the time, they're just winking at sin. You know, they think they can play with it. They think they can handle it. If you're toying with sin, you have no idea how quickly that it can gain control of your life and destroy you and your family. A major problem in the world, and it's a problem within the church today, we need to be clear, make no mistake about it. It's a problem in the church today. And that's pornography. You know what? Did you know that 60% of all the people that are on uh, the internet right now have gone to uh, some type of pornographic sexual site? Nearly half the people that spend, uh, that are on the internet spend 10 hours a week or more on pornographic websites. Pornography in the U.S. alone produces more income than the National Football League, the Major League Baseball, and the National Basketball Association combined. Can you believe it? We can't be embarrassed to talk about this in church because this is truly a problem. Ladies, I think it's good for you to ask your husbands if, if they've been viewing pornography. I mean, help keep us accountable, right? Guys, if it's embarrassing for you to talk about pornography with your wives, you need to stay away from it. I've served with guys who've been caught up in pornography and literally lost their families, destroyed their marriage, destroyed their kids, right? They thought they could control it And the Bible warns us if you open a door to sin, you know, it's going to overpower you and it's going to destroy you. And when it grabbed hold of the guys that I know, they were too ashamed to go talk to a brother about it. And it destroyed their marriage and it destroyed their family. We need to be wise. If you're struggling in this area, you need to get a hold of a brother and just ask him to pray for you. If you're struggling in this area, you know, get a hold of me, come down, let's pray. Let's see you restored, um, you know, delivered from it. The Bible says that we're to confess our trespasses uh, one to another and pray for one another that we might be healed. Then you can't let embarrassment keep you from receiving that deliverance. We need to be engaging our kids, too. Because, you know, kids are an easy prey on the Internet. I mean, without even thinking about it, you're surfing the the web and all of a sudden you click on something and bam, it's in your face. It's a problem. And young guys especially, I mean, they're easy prey to be trapped by it. It's a problem, not just for guys. Also, more and more women are getting involved in pornography. More and more women are, are connecting with somebody online and hooking up with them, leaving their families. And you know what? God help us. People think, you know, I can I can handle it. I can go to the bar, have a couple beers after work. You know, it's the way I relax. It's 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 okay. You know, I can handle it. It's I I'm in control. You know, I can I can engage in, you know, a little sexual banter back and forth with a, a colleague. You know what? It's not. I'm just having fun. It doesn't mean anything. I'm in control. But the Bible warns us. How quickly and how easily sin can entangle us. Listen, the Bible says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. You know what? I know a very well-known pastor, Bible teacher, author. I mean, if I were to mention his name, you would know exactly who I'm talking about. And he fell sexually. Um, he cheated on his wife. And you know what? I I asked him, how could someone like you, you know, how could you, how could you, how could this happen? How could you be tempted? You know, how is it even possible? I mean, I was dumbfounded when I heard the news. And you know what he told me? He said, Gary, I overestimated my strength and I underestimated the strength of the devil. And you know I just pray, guys, listen to me. (laughs) Listen to me. Listen to the heart of your pastor. You can't handle sin. You can't dabble with it. You can't open the door to sin. You need to run from it. And you need to run from it like your life depends upon it. God is pleading with Cain here. We prevent sin from ruling over us by submitting to God and allowing him to be our master. Without God as our master, we will be slaves to sin. Cain has to make a choice, and it's the same choice that we have to make. Verse 8, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Again, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. How is this possible? 1 John 3, 11 and 12 says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. John tells us that Cain was from the wicked one. Jesus said that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And why did Cain kill his brother? Because his works were righteous. And so what we see here is that Satan hates our righteous works. He hates us. He hates our worship. He hates the approval that we have of, from God. He hates how we can approach God through the blood of the Lamb of God. He hates everything we have with God through Jesus Christ. And he's willing to do anything. He's willing to do anything to keep us from living our lives righteously for Christ. And we see another verse in the New Testament that's worth looking at for a little added insight. And that's Jude 11. And it says, woe to them. And it's speaking here of false teachers. It says, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, having run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Corinth. Uh, Kor, Korah. What is the way of Cain that's being talked about here? It's approaching God in their own way based on their own righteousness, based on what they've done, their works, their deeds, trying in their own spirituality to to worship God and to come into his presence. This kind of message is being preached all over the place. And this kind of message, it's a bloodless gospel. They've done away with the cross. They say, you can do it. It's okay. You can do it. You know, you come to God and he'll accept you. He accepts all of his children. But the reality is it's not true. Spurgeon, if you know Spurgeon, he's referred to as the prince of preachers. He said that a bloodless gospel is a powerless gospel. It's powerless to save. Salvation only comes by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work of the cross where he bled and died for you. Taking your penalty and bearing your sin so you never have to answer to God for those wrongdoings. It was at the cross that God the Father poured out his righteous indignation. And there's no other way someone can be saved there's no other way to be saved this is the only way to approach God verse 9 then the Lord said to Cain where is your brother where is Abel your brother he said I do not know am I my brother's keeper and if you know God and you know how his voice sounds here I mean God is look, not looking for information God's lovingly giving Cain a chance to confess and to repent. You know, it's like we saw last week when God was asking Adam and Eve, hey, where are you? It was giving them a chance to see where they're at, separated from God, just, you know, hiding from him. He's giving Cain a chance here to see where he is and what it is he's done and then to... Come to his senses and ask for forgiveness. God wanted Cain to bring a sacrifice and come to him. And now we see God calling out to Cain, giving him a chance to confess and to be forgiven. And boy, you know how it breaks my heart when I see someone or I talk with someone who doesn't think that God can forgive them because of the things that they've done. You know, the life that they lived. it's just a lie of the devil. To think that God can't forgive, it's just a lie. God desires to forgive. He goes out of his way to extend mercy. You read over and over again in the Old Testament how the nation of Israel rejected God, fell into sexual immorality, fell into idolatry, and God still was reaching out to them. And the Bible says each morning, We wake up to new mercies, right? You know what? We didn't exhaust the mercies of yesterday. And this morning we woke up to new mercies. God is ever giving. He's ever extending. Don't think that you can never be forgiven. Don't believe it. That's a lie. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. Go ahead and turn there. In your Bibles, I I want to read this verse and uh, I want you to see it. It's so very interesting. Psalm 32, we'll read verses 1 through 5. And you know, this is um, David's confession after falling with uh, Bathsheba, right? Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For the day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And this is the verse I want us to focus on. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I've not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So you don't actually see this in the English, what it's saying in the Hebrew here, verse five. In the Hebrew, it gives the picture, as soon as David decided that he was gonna confess, before the confession even made it to his lips, God was there to forgive instantaneously. I mean, to me, that's just so amazing. I love it. I get worked up on this because, you know, I've been forgiven so much. You know what? Those that are forgiven much, they love much. And I just, this is a message that we want to get to people. God says to Cain, he says, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain, he just outright lies to God right here. He makes no, he makes excuses. He says, I don't know. You know what? Hey, is it my job to watch after Abel? He's a big boy. And we see the result of sin here. We see the hardness of Cain's heart. Sin always causes our hearts to grow hard to God. Especially it causes us to, um, you know, grow so hard that, boy, if we, If we would just humble ourselves to the Lord and we cry out, God would forgive. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. There's mercy and forgiveness for Cain if he would just confess. There's mercy and forgiveness for us if we would just confess. Confess. Oh, how God desires for us to just humble our hearts and just say, God, forgive me, I've done wrong. He's gone out of his way to make forgiveness available to whoever would humble himself and cry out to him. Verse 10, he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Again, he, he knows what happened. God's not in the dark. He's not asking for information. God's just giving Cain another chance to just tell the truth, to just ask for forgiveness. You know, Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. There's no hiding sin from God. If you think that you can dabble with sin, engage in sin, and God doesn't see it, you're fooling yourself. You're lying to yourself. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's grace and forgiveness. You know, the apostle Paul, he was a murderer. In fact, if you read the accounts very closely, Paul he could be considered a mass murderer. I mean, he, he killed more than just a person or two, right? Like, like that's just a few, right? He was a blasphemer. You know what? He compelled believers to renounce their faith in Christ and he drug them to prison if they didn't do it. He was a bad man. Paul said, "However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life." What Paul is saying is, is that if I can be forgiven you can be forgiven. You can receive mercy, the same mercy that I've received from God. It doesn't matter if you're a murderer, if you're a liar, if you're engaged in sexual immorality. It doesn't matter if you're a thief. It doesn't matter if you name the sin. It doesn't matter. God is willing to forgive. He's longing to forgive. Christ can can save and is willing to save anyone who will just humble themselves, confess, and ask Him for forgiveness. That's the God that we serve. That's the grace that we read about in the Bible. Verse 11. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Cain has allowed his pride, his jealousy, his anger, his hatred. He's allowed that, his refusal to humble himself and just come out and confess his sin to God. He's allowed that to get him to the place where he forces God to judge him. And God says, when you till the ground it shall no longer yield its strength to you. Cain was a farmer. He probably enjoyed working uh, the land. You know how farmers are, they they love that kind of stuff. And the lesson here is that sin will rob you of the things that you love. God doesn't cut can, Cain off completely. I mean, again, God is gracious. He doesn't just cut him off from being able to provide for himself. He could still till the ground. But what he says is now it's going to take effort. And the crop that you're going to get, it's going to be very weak. It's going to be very meager. And even after God judges Cain, sadly, Cain can't bring himself to the place where he asks for forgiveness It's so tragic. He just complains that God is unjust in his punishment. You know, there's no remorse. There's no thought of how his actions hurt his parents. He's just focused on himself. And that's what sin does in our life. It'll make you oblivious to others around you, to their needs, to their feelings. It'll make you blind to the fact that you're hurting the very people that you love. And it will cause you just to focus on yourself. You know, somebody said, um, sin is spelled S-I-N. I is at the center of sin. I is at the center of pride. And you know what? I mean, it's corny, isn't it? But the reality is it's true. When you engage in sin, you're just thinking about yourself. You're just trying to gratify your flesh. You become absorbed in what you want. Forget about anybody else. Verse 14, Cain says, Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. So this portion can be uh, interpreted two ways. Scholars you know, say both are the way uh, it can be viewed. First, Cain is blaming God. You know what? It's your fault. Now you're driving me away. You know, I can't come to you because you're hiding yourself from me. It's not me. It's you, God. And you know, it's exactly what we saw Adam do. Adam blamed God. It just makes me realize how our sins are often reproduced in our children. Oh, man, how sobering is that? He's just blame shifting here. And we saw Adam blame shifting. But what I believe and what other scholars believe is really going on here is the idea here is not that God is withdrawing from Cain, but Cain in the hardness of his heart, he's now going to hide himself from God. It's as if Cain's saying, okay then, you know, I'm going to hide from you. He's like a little child saying, Okay then, I'll show you, even if somebody finds me and tries to kill me, I'm not calling out to you. I mean, it just yeah, kind of makes, remember when you are a little kid and your parents spanked you, you know, and you're like, oh, I'll, I'll show you. And you go to your room and you just hope you could die so they would suffer. I, you know what, maybe that's not you. You know, your mom washes your mouth out with soap. You're all like spitting bubbles. Well, oh, I'll show you. You know, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that wasn't you. Verse fifteen. This is what sin does. This is what sin does. It blinds us. It's so terrible. Verse fifteen. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, because Cain is saying, Hey, you know what? Somebody's going to see me. They're going to kill me. So the Lord says to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. And again, how gracious is our God. He promises to protect Cain, even in his hardened state. He promises to protect Cain from anybody that would do him harm, right? Now, nobody knows exactly what this mark is. And it very well might not have been a physical mark but it could have been a sign assuring Cain of God's promise to him and I wouldn't put that past our God why would God allow someone like Cain to go unharmed God's mercy is not getting what we deserve and God's grace is getting those things that we don't deserve because Cain now becomes a walking, talking, sermon, lesson to how gracious and good our God is and the terrible consequences of sin. That's why God lets him go. That's why he doesn't judge him immediately. You know, it's it's for others that they might see, that they might glean from his experiences. Verse 16, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. The land of Nod is, um, east of Eden is a reference to um, Cain's wandering. Nod means wandering. Cain's, Cain's life, Cain's story here, it's a picture to us how sin separates, how it isolates, how it produces, hopelessness, how it produces restlessness, how it produces despair, wandering, defeat in our lives when we fail to just repent from our sins. You know what? If you're dabbling with sin, if you're living a compromised life, how tragic would it be for you to go from the presence of the Lord today and not Receive forgiveness. Jesus bids you to come. Come to the Lamb. Ask Him and He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. And maybe if, if you don't know Jesus tonight, you know, come to the Lamb. Be saved. Be forgiven. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if the Lord is speaking to your heart, don't ignore it. Don't reject it. You know, don't postpone it. You need to respond. How tragic would it be that you listen to me and hear about the goodness of God? And then you go from the presence of the Lord. Every time you say no, when the Lord is speaking to your heart, every time you say no, your heart gets a little bit more calloused, a little bit harder. And it makes it easier for the next time to say no to him. You know what? Give in. We're going to finish up here. Um, You might have already noticed it, but did you see how Cain and Abel, actually not Cain, did you see how Abel is a picture of Jesus Christ? I mean, he sacrificed to the firstling of the flock and it speaks of the Lamb of God. Uh, The firstling of the flock speaks about, you know, being in the prime of life too. And Jesus uh, was offered in the prime of life. And I used to think 33 was quite old. Now that I'm 60, man, he was just a kid. Anyway, we'll move on. Abel, he was a shepherd. Right here is the first mention of a shepherd in the Bible, right? Jesus is the great shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep abel did you see it he was brutally murdered by his brother because of his righteous acts jesus he was brutally murdered by his brother in the jews because of his righteousness and faithfulness to god the blood of abel cries out to god and again this is the first place blood is mentioned in the bible hebrews 12 24 tells us that jesus's blood It speaks of a better thing than Abel's blood. Abel's blood cries out for vengeance and cries out for justice. Where Jesus' blood cries out um, offering forgiveness and mercy. And if your life is marked by the blood of Jesus, then you're forgiven. You're declared righteous, not guilty, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how you remember it. And if you want to go deeper, this picture continues. Um, You know, just as Cain was driven out of the land, so too the Jews, they were driven out of the land because of their sin. Just as Cain received a mark, so too the Jews had a mark on their body, the mark of circumcision that identified them. The, The picture just goes on and on and on if you want to explore it. It's so beautiful. But again, the bottom line for our lesson today, is if you're dabbling with sin, it's going to destroy you. Make no, make no mistake about it. You can't control it. Don't overestimate your power and underestimate the power of the devil. If, if you're engaged in pornography, you know what? Let's get together. Let's talk. Let's pray. Let's see God deliver you. If you're just hardened if you're non-repentant, if you're just living in a compromised lifestyle, you know what? This is the time to get right with the Lord. Pray and ask Him to forgive you. Bow your knee and just let God's refreshing come into your life. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful, so very thankful for the grace and the mercy that you've extended to me. Lord, I'm thankful that, that, uh, God, you received my confession. And now I've been washed in the blood of Jesus, Lord. Had it not been for you, I would have thrown my life away a thousand different times, a thousand different ways, Lord, and yet you saved me. Lord, I know for a fact that there's no person, there's no one, there's no man, there's no woman so far that you can't reach out and touch their life. Lord, your ear's not so dull, you can't hear their their cry for help. Lord, I'm so thankful for that, Lord, that you're willing. Lord, you're, you're able, you're longing to extend your forgiveness if we'll just confess our sin and come to you humbly. Lord, so for my brothers and sisters out there that maybe, you know, just hear you speaking right now, Lord, I just pray that they would just cry out to you and ask for forgiveness. ask that you would, um, you know, fill them. Lord, ask that they would be restored. Lord, and I pray, God, and I know that you will, just meet them where they're at. Just, I pray that my brothers and sisters out there that are struggling would just cry out to you and let you love them and bring healing to them. Lord, I just thank you so much for the the message we have to preach, that there's forgiveness from sin and there's hope for a future through the shed blood of the Lamb of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters, Calvary Chapel Truckee, Lord, that your blessing would continue to rest upon them, that you would draw them closer to you, that you'd reveal yourself to them in the word, that you would meet them in their quiet times, Lord, and that that um, you would just make yourself known to them as they walk throughout the day. Lord, bless them. Bless Calvary Chapel of Truckee. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you've asked God to forgive your sins and you want to get a hold of me, please call the church office. Let's talk. If you're a new believer, let's get a Bible in your hands, okay? You're not listening to this Bible study, just happenstance. I believe in divine appointments. God has brought you to this moment. He wants to to do great things in your life. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. I'm praying for you. Can't wait to meet together. Food and fellowship on future Thursdays. It's right around the corner. Be praying for it. All right. Good night.